Hey, MW, it's Melissa. And Stephanie Karkache. The founders of Millennial Women and the host of Millennial Women Talk. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode, the Nashville Contributors Roundtable Conversation. Today's podcast was recorded at Silver Guest House, a super adorable and dare I say Instagrammable hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, we have an open and honest discussion with three inspiring millennial women, documentary creator and writer, Kaylee Dickerson, mother, blogger, and author of the College Girl Survival Guide, Hannah Seymour, and speaker, advocate, and trauma survivor, Courtney Edmondson. We had the chance to talk about romantic relationships, being single, marriage, and the road to finding the one. Listen to some of our favorite quotes from today's episode. I think the most important thing is to find someone that you are their number one fan and that they are your number one fan. And I think the problem is that most women settle for less. I say, I like to say, uh, don't pursue it, um, but you can position yourself. So the idea is to identify the destructive habits that you have in your life and then change them. Be the kind of person that deserves the best person out there because we do deserve the best person out there. And here's our full conversation with the Millennial Women Contributors of Nashville, Tennessee. So when we, like Steph said earlier, put out this Google form, uh, the women of Nashville spoke and they've all, their biggest challenge that they were facing in the city was relationships. And they were really trying to either enjoy their single season, which Stephanie Mae Wilson talks so well uh, in that topic, how to find a good man, or am I ready for marriage? And like, you know, what's interesting is that you guys all bring something really different to the table. But <laughs> I want to start with you, Hannah, because I read your blog post about you waiting till you were thirty mm-hmm. to get married. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I just turned thirty, so <laughs> yes. I need to know. Well, first <laughs> of all, congrats to starting so far what I think is the best decade yeah, of your so life. Yes. So far, it's um, been a- I have loved being 30. I grew up, my mom always saying, like, women in their 30s are the most beautiful they'll ever be, the most confident. Well, maybe, I mean, I guess you get more confident. But her point was, like, once you're in your 30s, you really know who you are. You're unapologetic about it. Like, and so I I always thought, wow, it's going to be great to be in my 30s, where I think most women are raised, like, oh, you're getting old. You know, it's horrible. So I think 30 (laughs) and and older is great. Um, Yes. Yeah, so I wrote a blog post, gosh, that was so many years ago. And we joked that it like broke the internet the day that I posted it. <laughs> and I wrote it because I had had so many conversations with a lot of my college girls who had graduated and they were mid twenties and just so depressed. Like I haven't dated anyone in years. I thought I would be married by now. Like what's happening. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write just a quick and dirty blog post about why I'm glad I didn't get married until I was 30 just to encourage people. It was not to be a, like, if you get married when you're 22, you know, you shouldn't have done, like, just like, I just want to encourage women who feel like there's no hope for them (laughs) and then it's going to be great. And so, I mean, it's so funny. I haven't read that in so long, but I remember just listing things like, I just really knew who I was. I had a season to travel, spend my money how I want. I mean, the second you get married, your money Mm -hmm. is not your own. Your time's not your own. Your priorities aren't your own. Like, everything is about compromising with another person and thinking about what they want. So I just, I had the fullest twenties. And I mean, when you were probably 24. Okay. It's a little older, yeah. but still like pretty I was, young. I was a baby. Yeah. And I mean, in both stories, both sides are wonderful yeah. and perfect for us. Like that was her and Russ's story. Mm-hmm. 
my story and my husband's story was we were both just right on the line of 30. So anyway, I loved it. I loved my season of yeah. being 20s and fancy free. Because you feel more confident free. with who you are mm-hmm. and you're like, it's not to say that maybe when you're 24, you're not ready. But I don't know, something about 30, well, I, I mean, I have a very funny, my <laughs> really, I've been with my boyfriend since high school. We've been together Ooh, for 13 wow. years. Oh, wow. So we're 17. Girl. And wow. we did long distance twice and it's just, but you know, we're still, we're still here. We're still together. Yeah. So I moved back to home to Miami last year, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and we moved it together to and I'm like loving it. But yeah. it's like, how did you know to make, I don't know if you were living with him before or what your journey was, mm. but when did you know, like now is the right time to, to get married? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So one thing just to know something you said triggered this in my mind. Part of my story is had I gotten married at 24, I would have not married my husband. I mean, obviously that makes sense. Like we didn't know each other, but I would not have married the type of man that he yeah. is. I really, I really needed to grow up. You I really, yeah, I really needed to um, redefine my list. I was looking for like, the t- like temporarily what I wanted. Someone that was like fun and adventurous. And not that my husband is all of these things, <laughs> but, um, but like romantic and um, I don't know. I was looking for really to be in a movie. Like that's what I wanted my life to be. And not realizing like I need to marry someone who's in it for the long run, who my son is going through a sleep regression right now, who gets up in the middle of the night and rocks my baby boy back to sleep. Like that's the man that I want to be married, not the fools that I dated in my 20s. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, not to say, how did I know? So I swore I would never even consider marriage until I had dated someone for a full year. I think that's important to know someone mm-hmm. in all the seasons. Okay, Tyler and I, and really when we, our story is so long, but like pretty much we, from our first date to our wedding day was 11 months. Okay. So um, for me, that was, I had dated so many guys. I knew what I, by the time I was 29 and we started dating, it was like, I know this is it. I remember sitting across the table at a restaurant in Nashville that no longer exists. R.I.P. Silly Goose. Um, <laughs> and the couscous. R.I.P. that couscous. So good. Uh, and I remember thinking, I don't know what would break us up. And I didn't know, I mean, we had some hurdles to get through in our dating, um, but I, by that point in life, I knew what compatibility looked like. I knew what values and characteristics I was looking for. And he, he was it. You just knew. I knew. Yeah. I would love for you to say the story and how you met <laughs> your husband. Because I love these stories. I was like, probably one of the, well, the third question I always ask every girl. So are you married and how did you meet? So, <laughs> I love, I'm such a girl. Why, girl, do, women lo- why do women love that story? Though? Because they want to know how to find someone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a how-to guide. It's true. And it's you want to know if you relate. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. oh, I met him and we were just friends at first. You're like, oh, you're like going through your friends at that time. Yeah. <laughs> that's how girls are. Yeah. Like, that's just how that's we true. are. So I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. So how did you for the sake of me not talking forever, I'll let Kaylee start the story. Um, so I was a senior in college at Belmont where Hannah was working, and I needed credit for this concert thing, and she was the one who would give it out if you missed it or whatever. So I go visit Hannah, and I'm in her office, and I knew because her dad was a pastor in Nashville. I was a part of their youth program, like helping be a youth leader. She was a youth leader, so I knew enough about her and her dad to know that she would be a great fit with my brother. And so I walk in the room, I'm like asking for credit. And I was like, by the way, 
you should maybe date my brother. Okay, bye. And I just kind of leave and go to coffee with a friend over there. I was like, I think I just met Tyler's wife. Oh, my God. True story. True story. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So oh Kaylee God. mentions to Tyler like a few days later, mm-hmm. you got to date Hannah Se- or Hannah Easley at the time. And t- Tyler's like, I'm not going to ask out some girl that I've never met before. <laughs> I was like, here's her Instagram. Here's her Facebook. <laughs> Instagram didn't even exist. <laughs> Whatever it was. It was something. I gave him something close to it. Was yeah. her Twitter. Yeah, totally. I don't know. And so, but in true Kaylee fashion is like, well, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. (laughs) So like six months later, we met at a video shoot. Belmont was doing a big um, advertising series with, with notable alum. And so Tyler and his business partner are notable Belmont alumni. So uh, we were filming a commercial with them and we met for truly three minutes or less. And that, if he was here, he would say that was my like door. The door opened. I met her. So he sent flowers to my office the next day with a card that said, um, loved meeting you yesterday and would love to take you out to dinner if you're interested. You know, Tyler, here's my number. Was, wait, and, this was already in Nashville? Yeah. So is this like custom, like Southern charm? Like, does it really exist? <laughs> no, like, Ty- Tyler is also a, a unicorn. He's he's a yeah, he really is. Yeah. Like, he's the most thoughtful, romantic, but also practical. He's not yeah. like... I don't know. He's a lot of really good things. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I read that card and was super annoyed because, <laughs> A, I didn't want to call him. I was like, oh, you should call me. You know, B, I was annoyed that he sent flowers to my office and spent money on me when he doesn't even know me. Like, why would you, you know, I mean, that bouquet was not cheap. Like, why would you do this? And so I called him and, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm such a mean girl. Like I call him and was like, oh, this is so weird. This guy I don't even know sent me flowers. Okay. Knowing if y'all knew my husband, yeah. he would be like, that is the meanest thing you could ever say to that sweet man. Like, but anyway, I'm joking, but I'm kind of not. And, uh, and so he, you know, and Tyler's like backpedaling, like, well, we don't have to go to dinner. I mean, literally like, and I'm like, well, no, of course I'll go to dinner with you. I can't not. You sent me flowers. So to make the story fast, we went out on what we say two and a half dates because one was a lunch date and I was sick and it ended early. And at the end of our second dinner date, he said, I really like you. I want to keep seeing you. Like, let me see you more Um, because I would maybe let him see me like every 10 days. And and I said, yeah, but I I wasn't playing. I was just hard to get (laughs) and said, "Um, I'm so sorry. I'm just not just not in the same place. So hope we can be friends, but bye. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then we reconnected two years later. What? Got drinks, and then we're married 11 months later. What? Oh, my <laughs> Okay, so this is a good story. Then two years later? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But why? Why did you, <laughs> but why did you shut it down? You just weren't ready. I wasn't into him. My list hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. Tyler is um, kind and gentle and steady and loyal. All these amazing things, right? But as a 26-year-old, mm-hmm. I was looking for adventure, uh, alpha male, someone who had my sense of, like, kind of mean, sarcastic humor. I mean, someone, like, to keep me up. Like, I wanted I wanted kind of a, um, what's, like, what's, uh, like, a sprawling partner. You wanted a challenge. Yeah. And... After two years of 
continuing to date the wrong men, realize like, I need someone who is a servant leader and who is gentle. Like, that's the kind of person I actually want to follow. Not someone who like beats me up to get, like to win my respect. And so that was, I mean, I was the one. I had to change big time. And he grew a lot. Totally. He grew massively just into like who he was supposed to be, being more assertive, more confident. Yes. In that same window. So it's not that either of them wasn't, it's just you weren't ready. You weren't ready at, the time. at that time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, both. Ready. Like it wasn't just you. Is what I'm saying. Thanks. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so, Kaylee, you're a traveling wife. Yes. And you do it all. It is weird. And you know, it's funny. Steph and I were talking about this, and we're like, "How does she do it? Like <clears throat> being married to like an artist, and especially having women, you know, like be in love with your husband, yeah. or all these like <clears throat> how yeah. as a woman." How do you stand your ground and how do you feel? Like, how do you, how do you find your position in your relationship? I think it goes back to the same thing you were saying, like marrying a good man changes everything. Like there are a lot of artists I would never marry. I actually never wanted to marry an artist. Like that was never a goal. And it kind of breaks my heart in meet and greets and stuff when girls will come up to me and be like, I just want to do what you're doing. And I'll always ask, what do I do? Because I'm genuinely curious. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like I don't, like, I'm like his creative director, like, quote unquote. Right. But, like, I don't have a title. I don't get a paycheck. I don't, like, so I'm like, what is it you think I do? Because I would love to know. Right. Um, and mostly they'll say, I want to marry an artist or I want to marry a famous person. Really? Want, oh, and it shatters me because I'm like I never that's like I was more terrified of it than anything and I was just in love with him and in love with our callings aligning and I just it was so much bigger than I wanted to marry someone famous I was not under the illusion that it was going to be easy but yeah you had such a journey like you guys have had such a journey for him to get to where he is today and a lot of that had to do with you and your relationship Mm -hmm. and your strength because you guys weren't touring the second you got married. Right. Right. So it was a whole process. Can you talk about from when you first met and yeah. your dreams and how in the beginning too, because I mean, you, I'm sure you guys started off with nothing like most couples oh do. My gosh, yeah. And it's like, how do you know that at the end of the day, like your dreams are going to happen and how do you keep up that positivity? Also a long story, but I knew way back in college, I went to school for music and which also helps us because we both had music business backgrounds. And so it's never been just like his thing. We've always done it together and bounced things off of each other. And been like, is this the best deal? Is that the best deal? Because we both knew. But I remember before he and I started dating, I would always say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just know it's going to align with my husband. And not in a like, because I'm trying to submit to my husband kind of way. In it, like I, at my core, I knew my purpose and calling was so intertwined with something else that when it happened, it didn't even occur to me until we were engaged. Um, But I went to school for music because I had this like vision one day of me sitting backstage on a couch, just like talking to people about their problems. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I guess to have like that position, I have to go to school for music and be an artist. And, and so I did. And I was like, all right, let's go. And then I got there and I hated it. (laughs) I hated singing for people. And I, but we were in the same voice class. That's how we met. Mm. And so we were friends for like two years before we ever dated. I don't, we actually don't even remember meeting because I was dating oh, another funny. guy and he was like sort of dating another girl. So I wasn't like 
ooh, is this guy my husband? You know, like how you do when you're single, you're just like, ooh, maybe it's him. Like that was, I, it was like nowhere. Um, I just always remember hugging him. That's what I remember. It's like, he was always my friend. And I started doing photo and video and grew in that. And our fourth brother, my fourth brother, I guess there's two, whatever that is. He's a director in LA. And so he started teaching me what he did and I loved it. And so finally, fast forward, we get engaged, we get married. And every label in town has said no to Russell and is like, no, no, no. And I was like, fine, let's do this for ourselves. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, that's a three. Like, don't tell me no, I will find a way. And so mm-hmm. that is me. Yeah. And I was like, I got this. Like, I'll, I'll do your music video. Like, we'll do this together. And so we did that. The first year we were married, we made $12,000. You can look on our tax records. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a whopping $12,000. But it's the best to me. Like, I... That's why it breaks my heart when girls are like, I want to marry, like, this and that. I'm like, don't marry for that. Right. Like, he could have been I, – I couldn't stand to watch him be an insurance salesman because salesman, it's not his personality. But he would pretty much make anything hilarious. But <laughs> I, I just couldn't stand to watch that. But I would have been fine with that right. because we're actually best friends. So we really did kind of come up and build it together and slowly eventually he got millions and millions of streams and views on the video we made and then got signed to a record deal and went to the radio and got his first number one and his second song is real time number one right now it's, oh, it's i almost texted you yesterday like, he, he started screaming in the house today and i was like oh. what <laughs> and he was like please come is number one real time so That's amazing. Anyway. Congratulations. Yeah. thank you so it's fun it's like we both feel a piece of ownership about it and we love it like it's and what did those moments look like for you guys as a couple like the times where you didn't think like or did you ever think like is this not going to happen like for us plenty of times and what did Um, that look like it was so interesting because we had been I did missions photography for three years or two years right out of college and so he would go with me and the strangest things kept happening. <laughs> we would be in other countries and strangers would walk up to him and they'd be like, you, well, before we were married, they'd be like, you two are going to get married mm-hmm. or like, like all these crazy spirit, like highly spiritual experiences mm-hmm. that, and they would tell us like, your marriage is going to heal marriages and it's going to show the world, the father's love for his people. And like, so when, when stuff got hard, we would still like, we would walk and pray. That was our thing. We would just like walk and pray and walk and pray and until we saw something change and we really went to bat for it. So that's why it's also so rewarding. Yeah. But it, it felt so much bigger than ourselves. Like we weren't like putting stock in us so much. It was like, we're going to do this because like we just want to love on people and heal marriages and release songs that are happy and more therapeutic than making fans, the therapist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just so using your art and your creativity to promote healing yeah and it was so much bigger than us like even when we got tired it was like if it's if it's bigger than you you won't you won't give up Mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful and like I think in relationships and anyone can jump in on this thought but you know the support that you have to have for one another Mm -hmm. even if you see that or you don't see it in my in my case in my personal um I'm not definitely ready not to talk about it but I was engaged And a big issue was that there was no support there, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's definitely, it's hard. It's really hard. And then you have, you know, Mm -hmm. in your case, a man that's telling you like, 
one of the most ambitious dreams, you <laughs> yeah. know. How important is that to support one another during those difficult times? Anybody could jump in on that, but... I mean, it's huge. I, I think the most important thing is to find someone that you are their number one fan and that they are your number one yeah. fan. And I think the problem is that most women settle for less. Mm -hmm. And so whether they're dating or marriages or whatever, they are in a relationship with someone that is A, not their number one fan. And B, I mean, think about Kaylee could be married to a country artist that she's like, no. <laughs> oh my gosh, it'd be His terrible. songs are okay. I but, have to watch the show every night and hate it. Oh like, I love it. I'm out there fangirling. Like, that exists. Like, yeah. I mean, there are there are marriages all over the world that right. people are like, yeah, my spouse is eh. But, right. And so that, I think, it's like find somebody that you think they are incredible and make sure that they feel the same about you. Mm -hmm. I think in our case, it was an ebb and flow and you can back me up. I don't know if it's an absolute, but I think there's seasons for it. And I knew buckling down to help him for a few years uh -huh. would release me to do what I want to do in a few years. Uh -huh. And so it was like, I'm willing to go there. Like I'm all hands on deck. And, but in that, my own dream has kind of come about, you know, and being able to help girls and influence girls. I think both of our followers are like, well, mine is like 95% female. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. Like, I want that to be the case. And I want to travel and hang out with girls. And I do, like, do this thing called Coffee with Kaylee. And I want to make it a tangible experience at some point, our show, and go actually have coffee with girls, like, all across the country. And so in that, in building his dream, it's built mine. Yeah. Which is really sweet. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> but he, he'll joke. He'll be like, when you have your merch, babe, I'm going to be there. I'm going to sell it at the table like you did. I'm like, yeah, right, Russell. Like, everyone's going to be taking pictures of you. And he goes, nope, I'm doing it. At least for one show. Like, I'm going to sell merch like you did. Go in disguise. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the meet and greet pictures. And I'm going to, you know. So it is that. We are each other's cheerleader, even though it might have for a while has seemed like I'm just his. But, you know. But he's always thought you were Superwoman. Oh, And he's always thought you're the most beautiful, the most talented, the most creative. Like, yeah. I love it. I love that. Courtney, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I have a couple of things. I think, um, like, I am single, but I have a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. um, we've been through a lot because we actually met because we both have, like, pretty powerful stories of overcoming. And so they, uh, a friend of mine who I was discipling actually introduced him to me um, as a Thursday Thrive prospect. Mm -hmm. So I have this um, project where I feature people's stories of overcoming adversity. And he was actually adopted at the age of eight from Russia. Um, both of his parents passed away from alcohol poisoning. And he's actually disabled because he had fetal alcohol syndrome. So he's blind in one eye. You'd never know it. He's absolutely smoking hot. But... <laughs> <laughs> But so we met for that reason and neither of us were interested. We were just like pouring our hearts on the table and letting that season, it just wasn't our thing. But, um, he was, uh, I had mentioned to him, like, if you ever want to come to like the church that I go to, like, um, he, and he was active in church, but it was, I go to a church that meets on Tuesday nights. And so I mentioned that to him. And, um, so he came one night and it's kind of funny cause I am that person that I invite everybody to church, like literally everybody's so like multiple guys come that night. And I talked to a lot of guys, so it's like not weird. I grew up with four brothers. So I hang I mean, 
historically have had a lot of guy friends. And so it's not weird to me to like have a bunch of guys. So I was just like, whatever. Um, and at the end, um, like, so the, the church meets on Tuesday night, it's pretty long service. And so, um, the other guy that came like left early, which is fine. But so, uh, David was still there and he, um, I felt this like overcoming thought from the Holy Spirit that was like, you need to pray for him. And so I didn't know what I was supposed to pray, but I just started praying and he, <laughs> so it was really loud. So I like, I kind of like was, hugged him was like in his ear and I didn't really think anything of it. But like later he apparently went home that night and like called his parents like this girl prayed for me. And she like hugged me and he was like, I don't even know what she said. Cause she was just like hugging me. It was so sweet. And like, yada, yada. <laughs> so that's how we met. But, um, it's been like just a challenge because what I recognize and I have, had to come to a place where you um, you have to recognize like the baggage that you're bringing in, mm-hmm. um, and my pastor kind of describes it as like hidden landmines. So um, your partner is the closest person to you, you know, and without knowing it, they might step on a landmine mm-hmm. of yours. It's a trigger, right? And um, it's really important to find those landmines before you meet your partner, so like you can process some of that before mm-hmm. you get to that place, and so. Uh, we both had a lot of that, a lot of unprocessed, unprocessed trauma and, um, I'm in that work. So I, um, am way too much of a fixer and (laughs) like was always like, Oh, this is just like your trauma, like whatever. And you know, you never want to hear that. Like you don't want someone else to be fixing you. So we had a lot of like, I had to come to myself and be like, okay, Courtney, you're out of control with this. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just like fix him into the person you want him to be. You have to let him be himself. And, um, you know, he had a lot of unprocessed trauma and like insecurities and what you're talking about was like the cheerleader thing. Um, like whenever I would shine, it would almost make him feel insecure and I could see that. Mm -hmm. And so we went through and so we broke up for like nine months. But the thing I love about David is he is like a perseverer. Like he is like persistent and he perseveres. And like, actually when we, um, initially started dating, he, I shut him down like every chance that I had. Um, And he just kept on. I remember I was buying a house at the time and he kept asking me if I want to go see Christmas lights. I'm like, no, I don't want to go see Christmas lights. I'm buying a house. I'm like closing the house. I don't want to go see Christmas lights. Please leave me alone, you know? And um, he was just so sweet. He bought me like this massive, amazing housewarming gift that was like nicer than any of my friends or family would have ever bought me. And I came home with it and um, my best friend was like, oh, did you... um, she was like, who got you all this? She's like, this is so nice. She's like going through it all. And she's thinking it's someone we know. And I'm like, oh, David. And she's like, Courtney. And I'm like, you know, we're just friends. It's fine. And she's like blowing it off. And she's like, y'all are not just friends. Like she's like trying to make it a thing. But the funniest thing is the house, like I swear, is totally God orchestrated because, um, he had a truck and I, on new year's Eve day, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, I had just closed on my house on like the 23rd of December and I lived in this like brand new house and like an up and coming neighborhood, I'll call it. <laughs> so I was like a fish in a fishbowl and uh, we didn't have blinds. The blinds were late and they, they got delivered to my dad's house in Huntsville. And I, and so I called my dad, my dad calls me. He's like, Hey, the blinds are here. And I'm like, I'm coming to get them right now. He's like, it's New Year's <laughs> Eve. Like they're not going to fit in your car. And I'm like, okay, well 
like I'm coming to get them. So I sit down with my best friend and I'm like, who do we know that has a truck? And like David comes to mind first. I'm like, not calling him. So I call everybody else and they're like, no, you can't borrow my truck to drive it to Alabama on New Year's Eve day. And I call David and he's like, absolutely, come get it. I'll make sure the gas is full for you. So I go and I pick up his truck and of course the gas is full and he's so sweet. And I'm just like trying to blow it all off. I actually tried to pawn him off on Jennifer, my best friend. I'm like, he's the sweetest guy. He's so great. You know, whatever. (laughs) And so yeah, bless his heart. So um, we get back um, into town, and I, I drop it off, and, and it had, um, well, no, then I had to borrow the truck, like, a couple of days later, and it snowed that night. It, like, never snows here, and when it snows here, people mm-hmm. freak out, and yeah. driving the road, Shuts and down. it's so much worse, though, when you're in someone else's car, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and in someone else's massive truck, which he had texted me that morning, and it was before it started snowing, and he was like, um, hey, I'm so glad you have the truck, because it's snowing. I'm like, I look out my window, and it's like, it's not snowing. And he lives in Franklin, so it hit him first. And so he was like, oh, well, it's definitely snowing. And, like, (laughs) you're coming towards me because I had to, like, go to my client, which was in Franklin. And so I get on the road, and it's, like, a standstill. And everyone's driving crazy, and I'm freaking out. And I get to my client, and they're close. Like, no one told me, but my client's close. I can't even get into my client. So I'm, like, sitting in his truck, and I'm like, um. (laughs) He's like, like, well, since your client's close, like, do you want to go grab coffee? And I'm like. No, I don't want to drive anywhere. Like these roads suck. He's like, I'll come get you. So he comes and picks me up, and oh then we had coffee. And so that sad. was literally the that was the time when I was like, okay, he's literally the nicest guy ever, and I just need to like. <laughs> but here's what I was gonna say. There's a couple things. So the book Scary Clothes and the book mm-hmm. um, Safe People by Henry Townsend. Yep. I mean, game changing books that have healed my heart in some kind of way. But one of the things that Donna Miller says is that love is an acquired taste. And what you were describing earlier about yep. like who, you know, you weren't attracted to the, mm-hmm. the amazing men. And that was totally my problem because here's the thing. We are subconsciously attracted to the brokenness that we experience mm-hmm. at, in our childhood. And a lot of times it's in our childhood. It might be after, but a lot of times we try to relive that trauma and it's, it's a psychology like thing. Mm -hmm. It really truly Mm -hmm. happens. And so you have to recognize those patterns so that you can change the behavior, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think for me, um, I was stuck in that cycle for a long time. And the other thing that, um, really changed my perspective and changed my dating life is I was just like, I'm going to. I want to be the kind of person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. Yep. Yeah. And um, that changed my whole life. That's really like mm-hmm. when I started really chasing down Jesus and just like full force because um, I recognized that like who I was at the time, I wanted like the Christian man who was a servant leader and like all these amazing things. But like <laughs> the way I was living my life at the time, there's no way that kind of man would have been attracted to me. And you really have to be honest with yourself and say like, am I that person? Um, and you know, it took me a long time to get to that place, but I think like when I started to become her, first off, you get way more confident and you start attracting different types of people Mm -hmm. to begin with. And you stop taking the stuff that you don't like, like you don't deserve, like you just Mm -hmm. won't take it anymore. Um, and like you're, you put yourself in situations with the kind of guys that have those characteristics. So like if you're volunteering at church, he might be volunteering at church. Or if you, you know, if you never go to the gym, but you want a guy that's really athletic, like, come on, girl. Yeah. I mean, truly, that so it changed my, my whole life to, to be in that perspective. But um, just to tell her that since I told you guys that we, we had broken up for a period of time, 
Um, what happened was like on Memorial Day weekend, I had this like catastrophe at my new house and David showed up to save the day because I didn't know who else to call. And like from then on, I was like <laughs> in a complete panic, like breakdown. And he just like held me and was just like, what can I do? And just like, yeah. you know, from then on was super persistent and amazing. And just, you know, I think a lot in, in the moment when we broke up, I had to have, I had to have that realization of like, I'm a fixer and I have to stop fixing because a lot of things that I was doing was just making him more insecure, you know? Yeah. And I think there was a lot of growth that had to happen in both of us. But, um, yeah. And I, I do want to mention this too, because I think it's crucial that a lot of people don't know about it. There's this, um, psychology theory and it's called, um, the Cartman's triangle or the, the drama triangle. And a lot of, a lot of people refer to it as that. And so you have, um, you have like the rescuer, um, you have the persecutor and you have the victim. So if you think of it like an upside down mm-hmm. triangle, and if you find yourself in a dysfunctional relationship, chances are you're operating in one of those things. Mm-hmm. Can you repeat that? Yeah. So it's called the Cartman's triangle. (laughs) Go Google it. Everybody Google it. Um, (laughs) You'll see a picture of an upside down triangle. And so like on the left hand corner of the triangle, if it's upside down is the persecutor. And um, on the other side is the fixer. And at the bottom is the victim. So here's the thing. In every relationship, you have to have someone playing the victim in every unhealthy relationship. You have to have somebody playing the victim at all times. Um, And so what happens is the a lot of different things can happen. But for example, if you're constantly fixing someone and they're, you're making them a victim and eventually they get sick of that and they turn into the persecutor. And so you become the victim and you just stay in this and, and there's a healthy or not a healthy, there's a natural way that you stay in the dysfunctional relationships. And, um, what, so for me, my whole life, I've been a fixer. I've been a rescuer. I love to like help people and I have that compassionate heart, but I really, you know, that makes me attract victims. And, um, so I find myself in that pattern a lot. So I had to recognize that. And then you can totally get out of it. All it really takes to be mindful of the fact that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just want to put that out there because when I found that I could find myself in situations where I would be, um, just stuck in a conversation with someone where we would just go around in that triangle. But it wasn't until I recognized that like, that's what was happening that, you know, but a lot of people, they might be with like a narcissistic person, for instance, who is like a persecutor and they constantly make them think that they're not good enough and, you know, things like that. And so they, the other person would remain a victim until, you know, they get sick of it and then they become the persecutor and the narcissist maybe briefly becomes the fixer or, you know, I don't know, it, it can move all the way around, but truly Google it. You guys will be like mind blown and it will change your relationships. It's, that's so interesting. I feel like it's very common, more common to hear people in unhealthy relationships than healthy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's interesting to hear your take. So you're saying that we attract what we put out mm-hmm. yes. subconsciously mm-hmm. or consciously. Yeah. And some people know that they're doing it, like what they're putting out, but and, and don't recognize why they keep finding themselves in the same patterns. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like our whole lives are just like patterns you know, and like even your morning routine, like you probably put the same shoe on first every single morning. You probably have it. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to identify the destructive habits that you have in your life and then change them. I mean, truly identifying them and being honest with yourself about them is like the hardest step, but it's after that, it kind of really fixes itself. But if you're honest and are like willing to change. So what's some of the work, and I don't like to think of it like 
Because there are some women that are like, well, I'm just going to work on myself so I could find him. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. kind of like I'm getting ready for my real life, mm-hmm. which I, I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. I think your life yeah. is now and this is your life, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, but in, at the same time, it's never a bad thing to work on ourselves. And I do agree with the fact that once we're, we've worked on some of our, how did you, what's that word? Landslide? Landmines. Landmines. We got to church together. Alex Seeley. (laughs) When you do work on some of those landmines that are in you, it does make you um, a better person in general and overall that trickles onto your relationships. Mm -hmm. What are some of those works that women can do, especially in their 20s and their 30s? What are some of the things that you've done for yourself that have helped you in your self-development and just kind of reaching that woman or that person that you envision yourself to be. Anybody could go. I'll start maybe. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So like I said, are you the type of person that the person you're looking for would be looking for? Do an honest assessment of like, where am I at? Like in comparison to the kind of person I want to attract, like where, where do I stand? And that's not to say like you are, um, you're like not good enough for that person as it is, but like, are you being honest with yourself about it? Like, do you need to make some changes? Um, and the other thing is like just assessing your situation, like assessing the relationships that you've been in in the past. Are you always with someone who is verbally abusive to you? Like that's really common for women, unfortunately. And it's like, it doesn't even make sense. Like I hate to admit that that is a thing but if you're constantly in a relationship with a guy that does the same kind of things like maybe look at yourself and see like the patterns and things that you are putting out there um and then I honestly cannot say it enough to read safe people and um scary close like those two books changed my life mm-hmm. so we'll be linking those for yeah sure. <laughs> I had I honestly had the same exact conversation I remember I was six, driving 65 north in my Chrysler Sebring convertible. I remember I took the split and I went to the left and I had that same conversation in my head that was who I'm looking for would overlook me. Mm-hmm. And I I just, I, I remember being like, all right, I grew up in the church. My oldest brother is a pastor. So I was basically a pastor's kid and then moved to college. And it's not like I was doing wild and crazy, crazy things, but I just, it's not that it wasn't, less of a priority I just I don't know I I had to figure out who I was I think for Mm -hmm. for real not who my family said I was nothing like that and and yes it was I don't want the person I'm supposed to be with to overlook me but it was also for me I think that's part of it is like you can't just do it with the motivation of like I want this type of guy to like me because if they don't and you say you're doing all the right things then you're constantly second guessing yourself. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And it's not so much that it's maybe the timing is off or he's not ready or there's so many other factors besides that. So becoming healthy on your own, Mm -hmm. just to piggyback on that, because I also am a fixer and I always attracted people who just needed help all the time. And I liked it because I did counseling and I did all of that, that I loved helping people. I really did. It wasn't so toxic, but eventually I was like, Oh, I'm not spending time my friends who don't need me mm-hmm. and that was toxic mm-hmm. and I was exhausted and I finally had to draw a line in the sand of like no I'm gonna spend time with the people that are good for me instead of the ones that I'm just good for because then you get this messiah mm-hmm. complex and 
all that. And I, I later, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> did that. Like, yeah, I was doing it for you. Can you explain this one side of <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just being a rescuer. It's that. Right. It's like, I can fix your problem. I can help you. I can. Mm-hmm. But really, you want to equip people to help themselves. Yeah. And but which the Messiah a, did do. But, but I just. like a high, though. Because yeah. when you're like that support for somebody it's kind of makes you feel good and I feel like I've trickled down for sure this lane of just attracting people that need me and Mm -hmm. I'm like yes like I'm Mm -hmm. strong you know but when we're not always strong who's that for us you know you kind of find yourself in like drained well and I found it I saw it just trickle and fall apart when we left for touring because I we've been gone basically for what two Two years and so I I couldn't come home. I'd have one day home. I can't have coffee and lunch with all those people back to back. I have nothing left to give. So that's when I saw it just start to crumble. And I was like, okay, this is no longer healthy. I don't even know where to start to pick up these pieces. I'm just going to have to back up and just take some breathing room. And 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 that's honestly when our, our people have stepped in to be like, what do you guys need? What like, just because we're the ones who are exhausted now and in a great way, but exhausted. Yeah. And so... Yeah, you really see it for face value when you have nothing left to give, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honest self-reflection, I think everyone should go to counseling. I think everyone should go to counseling. Yes. I think everyone should go to counseling. And I tell if, – if there are girls that are listening to this that are in college, like, you probably have free counseling on your campus Do for, yes. like, $40 or $20 an hour. And health insurance usually covers, like – so many sessions in the beginning, but I, I just can't, I mean, counseling for me was so important. And I mean, talking about books like safe people or boundaries, mm-hmm. or, I mean, there are so many books, um, that, and that was like kind of my thing. I think like I was always, I would have those moments of self-reflection and go, okay, I'm not who I want to be right now. I'm not where I want to be. My life isn't what I want it to be. Okay. Th- but th- then you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> what I do? and one thing I think is assessing your community. Like, mm-hmm. are there Women in particular, because I think women need women. Are there women in my life that are encouraging me and challenging me in a positive way to be like the best version of myself? Are they inspiring? Are they doing things that are inspiring me? If I don't have friends that are like that, who are loyal and like got my back, I need to find new ones. Mm -hmm. And that's hard, but it's worth it. And then um, like outside of that, finding people that are 10, 15, 20 years older than me just takes one person. But even if you can find someone that you love their career and you love that woman's marriage and you love the way that woman parents, whatever it is, like just finding a few people that are, you can know, but that seem more like experts to you. And then um, I'm a reader. And so just finding people or I love listening to podcasts, like just any information that I can collect from folks that have been there and done it and I can learn from um, that are kind of like cyber mentors. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other thing is I truly just trusted the fact that like what's meant to be for me will never pass me. Mm -hmm. Like it'll never miss me. Mm -hmm. So like don't go out looking for it because it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks because it's, it's supposed to, it's not going to miss you if it's intended for you. So I just truly trusted in that. And then I just went about my life and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I say, (laughs) I like to say, uh, don't pursue it. Um, but you can position yourself. Yeah. yeah, because if you're just sitting at home watching Netflix and ordering Postmates, like <laughs> probably not gonna find the. Is it the dreams. Postmates guy? Because like that's like literally your only option. Like so, like 
Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. You yeah. won't miss it, like all of that. But also, like, you can't be a hermit, and you also like you also can't go into public in like sweats in like a messy bun all the time and really expect some guy to be like that one. Like, I want her. Like, you but that's can't. You know it's real, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe. It's like I don't know. What's the dude? I don't know. Comparison. It's so funny. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's just. Basketball shorts. Basketball, basketball shorts, shorts and like oh, and Crocs. Okay, if he walks in in basketball shorts and Crocs, which is really which is Crocs? Russell Dickerson. Yeah, he does wear Crocs, husband. guys. You can still marry the guy with Crocs. That is. So oh, I can't do that. But if it was in if it was in in public for the first time, I'd be like, nope. Yeah, the first guy? time for sure. He snuck those in. Like I was already in love with him. I was already screwed. Like it's just <laughs> they always snick it in when you're in love. But we all do too, guys. We do too. So like, I mean, I suck in the Crocs. Kaylee's husband convinced me. I was like, I need a pair. But you know how you like quote unquote marry your dad? Some people do in a health, like my dad's wonderful, so like it's a good thing to marry someone who's like him. Yeah, if he's not healthy, don't marry someone like your dad. (laughs) (laughs) But one time he came home with me, and I he's Russ brought home the tan crocs that I hate so much to my parents' house. And I look across the room, and my dad is in matching tan crocs. No. And I was like, this is it. Like, you marry your dad. What happened to me? You were already married? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You were already married. It's too late. So it's too late. Funny. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. <laughs> too late. Okay. I want to ha- ask another question. Like, how important is it how you transferred from, like, friends to relationship with your man? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would it- love to know the story. So I had dated a guy long distance before him, and so I didn't really hang out with a lot of guys in college, just out of respect for him and whatever. And so once I broke up with my ex, I started just hanging out with guys, like, more naturally, because that was really more natural for me with five older brothers and whatever. (laughs) So we started hanging out more, and I just remember being like, man, I wish Russell was at this party, or, like, I wish Russell was here, or... Like, to the point that I got in a car with a friend one time and, like, stole him from one party and brought him to ours. Like, I was like, I was like, come hang out with us. And he was like, okay. And so my friend drove us and got him and brought him to this next party. Like, but, <laughs> I, like, but I'm still oblivious at this point. I'm still, like, Russ is just my friend. And then one graduation party, I guess it was junior year. So this is, like, three months before we officially started dating. Because it was messy. Like, because so we're at this graduation party, standing on the side of this, standing on the side. Somehow we're like standing on the outside of this building, and it really was like, "Are you going to kiss me or not?" Like it was just the two of us. He was like getting closer. Like I was against a wall. Like it was like all the things you see in a movie. Aww. And I legitimately said, "Are you going to kiss me or not?" And he just in his sweet little innocent Russell, he's like, "I've never really made the first move," and I was like. <gasps> I was appalled. I was honestly appalled. I was like, then this is never going to happen. That's what I said. I was like, then this is never going to happen. And he grabbed my face and he kissed me. And I was like, attaboy. Good job. Good job. Attaboy. Attaboy. You got two points. Yeah. So I'm like, seriously, girls just attack your face all the time? Like, what? how did you get here? I don't don't know. But so then it kind of got complicated because he's such a sweet boy that was like, I'm not trying to just like kiss a girl. I don't know if I like her yet. And. It was this whirlwind of emotions for him. And so finally, I was doing mission photography. I went to Guatemala for like two weeks and came back. And I was like, hey, you know what? Like, we're not going to do this. Like, I'm, we're not going to kiss if we're not dating. We're not, let's just, right. let's just be friends. And so then we started hanging out without kissing, not, no holding hands, no nothing for like two months. Oh, wow. 
and but a lot like we hung out a lot and more intentionally and he was like yeah I really like you and I was like okay great (laughs) (laughs) we'll figure this out yeah I just but I I never was the make the first move type I was never going to tell him I liked him first I wasn't going to tell him I loved him first and I was like great and he's like no but I've just like never done this like and I apparently made him work for it because he's never maybe have to I don't I, think I don't know what key, happened it's you gotta make him work for it all of it. I was like okay great and he was like no I've just never said I was like you've told girls you love them before because I knew him as a friend yeah and he was like yeah but I never said it first I never and I'm like okay well everyone just kind of messed him up a little bit because he it really took him a long time to say things because it was thrown in his face a lot Mm-hmm. And so it took him a long time to have the initiative to do it because mm-hmm. then he never wanted to take it back because that was always an argument or something for him before. So I knew him well enough to have patience like for him to get there and right. it took him 10 months to say, I love you. And oh. I almost broke up with him because I was like, I know you do. If you don't have like the guts <laughs> to say it. <laughs> and we got there. We eventually got it. But it's, it's never, so no matter what story you look at for someone, it's never... Oh my gosh, that was seamless. Never that was that. perfect. Oh like you, I just knew it was him, and so I just kept being like, "All right, God." I was always open handed. I was like, "If this is your best for me, I'm not expecting him to be Jesus. He will never be Jesus. Mm-hmm. If this is your best for me, I'm here. I'm in. But if it's not, just take him." Like, mm-hmm. oh, I just always was like, even dating ten months in, even right before we got engaged, like. I'm serious. Like, if this is not it, I'm giving you full reign to just take him from me. And that happened with all the guys leading up to him. So I felt pretty confident saying that. Mm -hmm. Like, the guys I would casually date before him, I'd be like, a weekend. He'd be like, all right, God, you can do it. And then they would. And it was not, like, this conversation. It wasn't a big, like, all right, I'm not going to call you anymore. But I was fine with it. I wasn't like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I was like, this just, it's not him. I was like, and Tyler, I explained it to my brother, Tyler. I was like, it's like flipping through a magazine. I was like, next. <laughs> <laughs> but you were a person of faith. And that's yeah. Really oh, you through it. it was, that's the only way I got through it. Yeah. Honestly. And so then with Russell, I was like, open-handed, open-handed. And here we are. That's amazing. I wanted to ask you guys how important faith is in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Is that a priority? Is it important? Can you speak on that? Yeah, I mean it's it's huge for me. I I definitely I am a person of faith. Um, my relationship with the Lord is really important to me, and so I knew when I was dating, like I wanted to find someone that shared that, and um, at the same level too, like someone that it impacted their daily decision making, the way they think about life, so you know all those things. And and I think even more so now that I have a child. I really see the impact of like yeah, like even just how you communicate the world to your child. It is influenced by what you believe about greater things. If you believe there is a mm-hmm. God, if you, you know, I believe that everyone in here, everyone that's listening, every human on the world was uniquely created. God thought of you and created you and you have a purpose and you're loved. And like that, just, just believing that in itself changes everything, right? About how I live, about how I view other people, how I want to raise children. So, um, Yeah, it was huge. And it was a really important part as I dated, looking for someone that aligned with me in those things. But here's the deal. Like, Tyler and I don't agree on every tiny, like, theological thing. Like, you're not going to – you are you. You are unique. Like, you're not going to find someone that agrees on everything this world 
has to discuss. And that's okay too. I think sometimes I find women that are get so caught up on like, I mean, I, I literally heard about something recently where like a couple was in a big fight about infant baptism. And if you do not come from the Christian world, a quick, <laughs> just a quick and dirty thing, like Christians get baptized some churches baptize you when you're a teeny tiny baby and they just like sprinkle water on your head and like, right. yay, you're baptized. Yeah. And then some are like, no, you need to be an adult and you need to be fully immersed. And like churches have these like tubs and you, this yeah. sounds so weird to people that are not a Christian faith. <laughs> I realize, I'm sorry, <laughs> just go with it. So but anyway, so like literally they're fighting over infant baptism. Like who cares? Like this is not, like that does not matter. So, so anyway, I think faith is super important. And I think if you are a person of faith, it's really wise to find someone that shares shares what you share because it it does matter. What's the best advice that you can give millennial women today that are going through any tough challenges in their relationships, whether that be single season, marriage, motherhood, or childhood trauma? What is the best advice that you can give them? Mm. I know it's a heavy one. Be whole and pursue being whole. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lie that relationships are 50-50. It is two people being 100% of a person. Mm -hmm. And that makes, there's this mystery of how that is still one person. Like when you get married, two whole people become one. You're not a half of one and a half of one. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, will save you a lot of pain and a lot of struggle in relationships. I've seen, I feel like you either work out your issues on the front end or on the latter end. And I think it's common among young Christian couples to try and get married quick and to live together and all those things. But what I've seen that turn into is the other side of marriage is so hard because they didn't know each other for a full year and any of that. So you're always working out your stuff. You work it out on the other side, on the non-divorce side, on just the breakup side, on all of that and work on yourself until you get into that relationship to be the kind of person that deserves the best person out there because you do deserve the best person out there and you have to believe that for yourself and you can't just pursue that so that the best person likes you. You have to like you because if you don't like you, you bring that in and you can't expect him to think you're awesome if you don't think you're awesome. So I think that's it for me is just pursue being whole. Mm-hmm. I think what we're, okay, so there's healthy and there's unhealthy, right? Like mm-hmm. challenges, conflict in relationship. Okay, t- taking unhealthy and putting it on the shelf for a minute and just considering healthy mm-hmm. issues, healthy challenges are going through in relationships, life, whatever. Um, trusting the process. I think we too often think when things get hard and challenging, it means it's not right. Mm-hmm. And that's like the good things have the heart, like the good things become the good things because of the hardship. Mm-hmm. And so- like not being afraid of it, not running away from it, pressing into it and knowing um, that there's a greater plan. You are going to come out on the other end, a better human, a better person, a better you for allowing the challenge and the hardship to grow you. Um, yeah. Don't, I would say just don't be afraid of hardship, mm-hmm. assuming that it's healthy hardship. <laughs> right. For me, um, I think I kind of go back to that landmine comment I made earlier, like, really recognize what your unprocessed pain is. Like so often we think because things are in our past that we're past them, but it's just so not the case and they will come back up. 
until you process the pain and you process um, whatever it was that you went through. And if not, then it just will continue to come up. And that even happens in relationship and like, you know, just like even minor conflicts. If you just like try to blow them off, like they didn't really happen and you never process them, then it comes back to bite you because it ends up blowing up and becoming a bigger thing. Um, So I think that and learning how to communicate and work through conflict in a healthy manner before you try to do it with um, your significant other, I mean, or doing it with them, but like really owning that process and like recognizing where your weakness is when it comes to conflict. Like, are you the person that flees because of it? Or do you want to get it done right then? And um, just like understanding that people are different in in that Mm -hmm. and how they work through conflict. And like, I don't know, I think that's really important to just like be able to communicate that, that unprocessed pain. Mm -hmm. Don't run from it, you know, own it before it owns you. I love that. Oh, what a great way to end the podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Hannah, Kaylee, and Courtney for sharing your voices with us in our womanhood. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, guys. (laughs) To find out more information about our Nashville contributors, you can follow them at Kaylee Dickerson, at Hannah E. Seymour, and at Courtney underscore Edmondson on Instagram. Let's stay connected. Follow us at We Are Millennial Women on Instagram and Facebook to follow our journey as we hear the voices of the women of our generation and uncover the challenges we face as well as how we choose to overcome them. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Always remember to keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW, always love Melissa and Stephanie Carcace.